distant corners of our planet are becoming more accessible than ever before. Today we're zipping off on trips to places our grandparents could only imagine. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. With the world increasingly becoming our playground and our increasingly high-powered lives crying out for recess, more and more people are bitten by that old travel bug. Of course, scratching those travel bug bites requires dealing with a little reality. We Americans have the shortest vacations in the rich world, and our dollar just isn't what it used to be. Still, we can all enjoy great travels without going broke if we travel smartly. Together, we can have a lifetime of travel ahead of us, starting with this next hour. Stay with us for fascinating interviews with travel experts and lots of calls from our globe-trotting listeners as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. There's a good reason why so many people say Scotland is one of their favorite places to travel. Scotland has some of the friendliest people you'll find anywhere. Folks like Arthur Smith, one of my friends who ran a B&B in a remote Scottish Highlands village for many years. Arthur's quintessential Scottish burr and ruddy complexion were just the cover to a very generous heart and spirit. When I first met Arthur Smith, I knew he was the kind of Scottish gentleman I'd love my tour groups to meet and my television viewers to enjoy. Arthur traveled to America to join our annual tour reunion party at Europe Through the Back Door. Arthur was one of the first I invited to participate in this new radio venture, and, true to form, he showed up for his interview early, wearing his traditional family tartan kilt, complete with all the accessories. As you'll hear in a moment, he proudly describes his home in the Highlands and his heritage and history for radio listeners like you to get a real flavor of Scotland, Arthur's Scotland. But just two days after completing this interview for Travel with Rick Steves, after catching an early flight home, we were saddened to receive the news that Arthur had passed away shortly after returning to his village. While his health had not been very good in recent years, Arthur was always modest in retelling how he was the sole survivor of a Korean War skirmish. We also knew Arthur was determined to join us for this reunion. Arthur had plenty of stories to tell, to delight those who had fond memories of his bed and breakfast in the Highlands, and to tempt others who hoped that someday they could visit him there as well. It's with great affection and sadness that we present today's edition of Travel with Rick Steves with Scotsman Arthur Smith. We'll hear Arthur's interview in a bit. First, let's see what your travel plans are as we open the phones and email on Travel with Rick Steves. Hi, I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. Give us a call. Join in the conversation. Give us a ring at 877-333-7425. That's 877-333-RICK. Or you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Hey, we got Ashley on the line in Victoria, B.C. Thanks for your call. Oh, thank you for taking it. <laughs> you live in a beautiful corner of the world. I do. I'm very lucky. Wow. Do you enjoy Victoria, or is it just sort I of old hat for you? No, I love it. I love it. Third-generation Victorian. So. We just love going up to Victoria from Seattle. and it's Good, a li- yeah. little, little I love going down to Seattle as well. So. Okay, so I've, I've used a lot of you know, your resources, your Europe Through the Back Door, and your website to plan trips in the past, and it's worked out great. And I'm thinking I want to go into the travel business uh, myself because I really enjoy it. Great. Um, and I am planning a trip for my younger sister and I and my mom to Europe this summer, and we've got pretty much everything taken care of, but um, we're having a difficult time. So what is the best way to get from Paris to the Normandy area? We just want to go there for a day trip. Well, if you're going from Paris out to Normandy, there's routine trains that go there all the time from Paris. Yeah, we just have found that once you get off the train, then you have to find buses to take you to the beaches and all that, and that's what we're going for. So is it better to go with a tour group or well there's a number of things that you can do Ashley first of all it's a drag to have to drive out of Paris but you could certainly pick up a car in Paris get on the auto route and get over to Normandy you yeah. would be paying tolls for the um, super freeways in, in France unlike mm-hmm. in Germany and that can add up from Paris out to Normandy and back mm-hmm. would, would add substantially to the cost of your car rental 
um, you can take the train out there and then pick up a car out there for the day. But anytime you rent a car for the day, you're paying a, a, a premium. What I would imagine you could also do, which would make a lot of sense, is go to a place like Bayou. You can go on the train direct from Paris out to Bayou. Mm-hmm. And there, there are small-time operators, little minibus uh, guys that do little tours, and they're okay. experts in the Normandy uh, beaches and the D-Day landing and all that sort of thing. Okay. And, and they really are experts. And it's a great kind of tour because it's just, you know, seven or eight people on a minibus and this yeah. guy who loves his work. And you're a group of four, did you say? Uh, yeah, we will be a group of four. Yeah, so that would be just wonderful. Uh, and he would provide you the transportation and um, I think that might be your most efficient way because okay. by hiring him, you get the local expertise, you get the maximum use of your time because he knows just exactly how to structure the day best. Right. And, of course, it comes with transportation to boot. Yeah. Okay. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that's helpful. And then um, my mom, my sister and I are carrying on through Europe after that. But my mom is going back to England, and she is having a lot of trouble um, finding the best way to get from Normandy to Portsmouth. Okay, well, there's boats going regularly, at least every day, from uh, near Anfleur and also from Cherbourg okay. over to Portsmouth. And any guidebook or the web or uh, could help you out that. I wouldn't even worry about it, frankly, until you get to France. They would know better what's going yeah. on. And then uh, it's kind of fun to go into a travel agency in Paris. And uh, you just sit down, and uh, they're very it's comfortable, and then you feel yeah. quite sophisticated by buying your ticket right there. And they will sell you the ticket or give you the advice on getting either from Enfleur or Cherbourg over to Portsmouth. Portsmouth is a wonderful, underrated town. Yeah. You've got some beautiful sites there, and then you can uh, hop on the train. And I was amazed at how quickly you can get from Portsmouth by train into London. Yeah. So that should be pretty good. If you're choosing between Cherbourg and, and Enfleur, Enfleur is a wonderful, uh, it actually goes from La Havre, which is a big port, but yep. it's near Enfleur, which is a wonderful town. A lot of people consider it the birthplace of the Impressionist movement. And okay. when you get there, you can understand why so many Impressionist painters were inspired there by the wonderful light mm-hmm. in Enfleur. Okay, my mom will really like that. Yeah, good luck with your trip. Okay, thank you so yeah, much. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye. Bye. And we have Jim in Peachtree City, Georgia. Peachtree City, where's that in Georgia? That's a suburb of Atlanta. You got to be careful with your addresses, don't they? There, because most of them have the word peach in them. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> that's that's for sure. It's everywhere, and it's uh, similar to your town relative to Seattle. Okay, Edmonds. Yeah, we're just Edmonds, half half right. hour north. I don't need to go into Seattle unless I want the big city thrills. That's right. Or unless you got to catch an airplane. That's right. Yeah. What's on your mind, Jim? Uh, Rick, we're big fans, and uh, my wife and I do some pretty extensive travel, uh, big uh, Italy fans. We travel to the Ukraine uh, on church mission things, just got back from Israel, etc., and uh, we run into uh, Rick Steve's fans everywhere we go. We run into your books, and we use them extensively ourselves. But I was curious, um, I'm always interested in... Uh, what your personal uh, preferences are. And I wondered if you had one trip to take uh, in your life uh, mm-hmm. before the, before it wound up. You mm-hmm. had one trip, and it was like a two-week trip. Where would you go uh, specifically? Uh, what towns? Uh, what would be the rough itinerary if, if you had to select only one? And I'd also be interested in uh, frankly, some of your hotel choices in those in the towns that you'd be in. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think I might go to Nepal and hang Nepal. out and hang out on a lake by a town called Pokhara, which is in the uh, sort of the uh, western capital of Nepal, on the opposite side of Kathmandu. And there's dugout canoes, and there's tropical force that make you feel like you're in the middle of an herbal essence shampoo commercial and there's all these Himalayan mountains around you and incredible markets and and uh, leeches attacking you in slow motion it's just a wonderland um, great food friendly people in Nepal people when they greet you they clasp their hands together and they say namaste that means I salute your virtues and I'm just so charmed by that and you know the Indian subcontinent is my personal favorite. And if I was going to, let's say, you're kind of saying if I'm going to die in six months, where would I go? I wouldn't need to do anything good for my business, so I wouldn't factor that in. You know, right now, if I'm going somewhere, I'm going to Europe to make my guidebooks better. But if I was just selfishly going somewhere, it'd be somewhere in the Indian subcontinent. It could be Kerala. 
That's the most literate and Christian part of India and the most communist part of Italy, in India, I mean. So you got that literacy, that Western influence and the Christianity mixed in with the Hinduism and the, the communism. It's a, sort of a freely elected communist state or it has, that's its heritage in India. It's down on the south. It's sort of, if India is like, it would be where California is on the map for India. It's the southwest. Uh, also, Sri Lanka is just a dreamy country to visit. Um, if I was in Europe, I would probably uh, hike in the Swiss Alps if it was the summertime. I think that would be a glorious place to be. Um, you know, it depends. Um, yeah, I don't know. Where would you go? Well, I, I, uh, of course, we are so oriented to Italy that we're drawn back there uh, all the time. Now, just oh, yeah. been to Israel, uh, that's, a, that's a, an incredible, different kind of place. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Italy is... is is our place, and of course we love to stay in the same places that you normally stay in. Uh, Roberto in uh, in Venice. Uh, mm. There are a lot of people like that. Uh, Good people to meet. That's a great thing about traveling. Yeah, Barbara yeah. and Manfredo um, in uh, in Florence. Yeah, they burned they out. They have sold their place, I guess. They burned out, Jim. Yeah, they sold it. They weren't very good for the last couple of years. It's clear they had burned out, so it's good they sold it. Uh, new people have uh, moved into that hotel. This is the key. You got to get these people who are in either new or in their prime when they're doing these little hotels because it's a grinding day in and day out task to be public like well, that. Now, where can we where can we read about uh, what you just said about Nepal? Uh, well, you need to get a guidebook on Nepal and um, No, I'm talking about stuff that's written by Rick Steves. Stuff that's written by Rick Steves. Wow. Um well, if you were if you found an archive, there I used to write a book on Asia called Asia Through the Back Door. And uh, I have a little bit on Nepal, but what I told you is pretty uh, just remember the town of Pokhara and, and read about that. It's gorgeous in Nepal. You know, if you looked on my website and you searched for Nepal, I think we'd have something there. Hey, Jim, you went to Ukraine with your church. Do you have a sister congregation there or something? What we do is uh, my wife and I, plus some others in our church, um, uh, we support some orphanages, mm. a great, great uh, work, actually, right. and, and fun, and just absolutely incredible people. I bet it's a rich experience. And what's very interesting for American churches to realize is that for a pretty small amount of money, you can make a huge difference to a, huge little, difference. a little congregation in former Soviet Union. We support a church in Russia, and uh, like for $150 a month or something, yep. we can keep the pastor uh, employed. And that, that gives the whole community that sort of uh, uh, ability to stay together, and it's a, a great opportunity. Exactly what we do is uh, to support the pastors with that kind of money, and then... And then uh, he leverages you know, that into his congregation, yeah. We, uh, we, we, bought, uh, we bought them a van. Uh, we're helping them build a, a, an astounding church. Now, they're doing it themselves brick by brick, but... We're paying for all the cost of the materials and all that, and it's an amazing church. It's for this little town. It's their variation of St. Peter's. It's an amazing place. Boy, that is travel on purpose. Hey, we've yep, got we yeah, got to we got to move along here, Jim. Okay, thank you, Rick. Thank you for your call and happy travels. Enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. Bye. Soy Robert Wright, un americano viviendo en Argentina, y yo viajo con Rick Steves. That's Spanish for. I'm Robert Wright, an American that lives in Argentina, and I travel with Rick Steves. Soy Robert Wright, un americano que vive en Argentina y viajo con Rick Steves. Muchas gracias. <laughs> this is Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
What can I say about today's guest on Travel with Rick Steves? Arthur Smith was a true gentleman, cut from the old cloth. He proudly wore his tartan colors on his kilt and was dressed in his finest regalia for the interview we recorded with him as he visited our radio studios in Edmonds, Washington, on February 7th of this year. We were stunned to get word two days later that Arthur had passed away upon returning to his native Scottish Highlands. I'd like you to meet this true gentleman who shared his love of Scotland with so many travelers, Arthur Smith, in a conversation we shared earlier this year, coming up in a special tribute on Travel with Rick Steves. I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. We're traveling now to Scotland, and I've got with me a friend who runs a bed and breakfast in the highlands of Scotland in a little town called Glencoe, and he's graciously welcomed me and my travelers and our groups into his living room and shared the wonders of his corner of the British Isles, and today he's uh, in our studio, and we're going to take you to Scotland with the help of Arthur Smith. Arthur, thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure, Rick. It's delightful to see you again. Thanks, Arthur. Now, you live in a little town called Glencoe. Is that technically in the Highlands of Scotland? Very much. It's right in the heart of the Highlands. Now, what does the Highlands mean exactly? It literally means the Highlands, the mountains, which run uh, in a, a circle from Perth and Dundee round to the north of Scotland. So basically, if you're driving north from Glasgow, when do you hit the Highlands? At Loch Lomond. About oh, so half it's... an hour, 20 minutes from Glasgow Airport, you're driving up Loch Lomond. Okay. It's a very small country. So you want to go to the Highland. Everybody in Scotland goes to Edinburgh, yes, of course. Yes, of course. But you drive north half an hour, an hour, and you're in the Highlands. Very much. Now, I think you probably find classic Scotland more likely in the Highlands than... Than anywhere else. Is yes, that true? It is. It's divided into the lowlands, the southern uplands, the central belt, which is heavily industrialized, and then the Highlands which is one-third of the country with 3% of the population. Is that right? Yes. One-third of the country of Scotland? With 3% of the population. My goodness. So you've got the last wilderness in Europe. Probably most of the sheep mm, in Scotland. Probably more sheep than people. Yes. More, more sheep than people. Okay, now when we think of traveling in Britain, we've got Angles and Saxons. They came over yes. a- ages ago. Um, people from Europe invaded Britain and these were Angles and Saxons. And my understanding, Arthur, is they took the best land and they established uh, their communities there and they pushed the people who were there earlier, the Celtic people, to the less desirable, more rocky fringes of the British Isles. And the Angles established what became Angle land. Yes. And then the Scots, Irish, and Welsh took yes. what was left over. Yes. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Well, that's actually what happened. Did you know the Romans invaded us? Didn't quite make it very far into Scotland, got defeated, went back and built a wall. And we, like Wales, Ireland and Scotland, but particularly Scotland, were left with what they thought was the poor ground. Mm-hmm. In fact, it wasn't. We had gold, we had silver, we had pearls in the river, we had excellent water for making whiskey, we've now got hydroelectric, forestry, we've got the rich stuff. And you got oil, don't you? We've got oil, yes, in, in the North Sea, yes. Does England take a little bit better care of Scotland because of the oil? Well, yes, we take quite good care of England, yeah. <laughs> Now, you mentioned that you, you introduced the Romans to this story. Yes. When we think of Angles and Saxons who came over from, like, Germany. Yes, Germany. When yeah. What century would that have been, roughly? What, the Angles and Saxons? Yeah. Uh, from the 6th to the 10th. Right? Okay, early Dark Ages. Early Dark Ages. After the fall of Rome. But the Romans were there before that, and they added to the mix. They came 55 B.C. Okay, now, when the Is Romans it? came, they pushed as far north. I always thought they pushed as far north as Hadrian's Wall, but they actually went further and tried to um, oh, yes. subdue the Picts. There is a more northerly wall than Hadrian's Wall. It was the Antonine Wall. Okay. And they got right up almost as far as Aberdeen. In fact, the Grampian Mountains are named after Mons Grampius. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Now, why didn't they just stay up in Scotland then? They could have taken we, the whole island. We trashed them. You trashed <laughs> yes. them? The Scots trashed their own. Well, Romans. you see, the Romans fought in heavy armour and long lines in the link over peat bogs and mountains. Didn't work. So the, the Scots in their... When you With think of, guerrilla uh, warfare, yes. Guerrilla warfare, that's it. Hit and it. run and go, and they just... 
So the Romans, overwhelmed by the Scottish guerrillas, basically, they yep. retreated, and then they sort of drew a line across Britain, and they built Hadrian's Wall. Yes. And that was um, fortified every mile with a mile castle. That's right. Wide enough for chariots to race atop the wall to That's refortify right. places mm-hmm. that were under attack. And they pretty uh, effectively sealed off the, the, the rest of the, the island from yes, those from uh, the the Scottish guys. Side. Yes. All and right. that became a division, basically, between Scotland and England. Okay, yeah. Now, I when I go to up in the north... Uh, I came to your house once, and you gave me a bunch of little coins, little Roman coins. It just yes. astounded me that you could... I mean, they weren't even very valuable. You just find mm. these coins in the dirt? Well, yes, my grandson has a metal detector, and we go out. The Romans had a belief, if you find a Roman road and go for the cross a stream, when the Romans crossed over a stream, they threw in a coin to appease the river gods. Ah. And they always, being miserable, threw the smallest coin. So we find old maps, go down to where there was a bridge... And pretty soon you're going bleep, 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 and you're digging up coins. So you get a metal detector. You yeah. go to where a Roman, the Romans would have forded a river. Yes, or a bridge. And then for superstitious reasons, they would have tossed coins into the river. Yes. And they were cheapskates, so they tossed the smallest, smallest coins. Coin. And these are called? Mites. A, Ro- a Roman mite. The smallest Roman coin. A little mite. They're a half the size mite. of an American penny. Very small. And that's the same mite one we think about in the Bible when they the said... The widow's mite, yes. The widow's mite. When the widow gave all she had, which was a mite... And Jesus said it was the most precious gift. Beautiful. Now, when I'm in when I'm in Scotland or any of the Celtic countries, I'm sort of charmed by the the Celtic spirit. And I remember I was in a, a pub in Scotland, and a band was playing. It was called the North Sea Gas. Oh yes, for a yes, pub. yes. And I looked around, and I just saw a, a pride and a, and a glimmer in people's eyes. And yes. there was a real spirit of Scotland there. Does this survive even into the 20th century? Very much century? so. Very much so. The great game is football, of course. And when Scotland's playing the World Cup. All the supporters go dressed in kilts. It's called the Tartan Army. And it's amazing. It's a one group that go to a village to play a football match and they lift the ban in alcohol. They allow them to drink because they have such a good time. Oh, that's And great. don't get rowdy. And they don't get rowdy? No. But they've got Just their, get drink. They're yeah. the Scottish Army there yeah. for the game. The hey, we've got some people on the line, Arthur. And yes, certainly. I'm, I'm talking with my friend Arthur. Smith, who is from a little town in the Highlands called Glencoe, and he's visiting us today. And I've got Jamie on the line, and she's from Somerset in Pennsylvania. Hi, Arthur. Um, Hi. My husband and I are just madly in love with Scotland. We travel fairly extensively in Europe, thanks to, thanks to Rick's guidebooks and yes. DVDs and shows that we covet. And um, my brother is getting married in May, and I am giving him, for a wedding gift, a honeymoon trip. How nice. And I'm hope I'm wanting to send him to Scotland. Yes, um, we've been there several times, but we never seem to get out of Edinburgh, which has oh. been wonderful. But I know there has to be more that we're missing. Well, there's a lot more. Yes, and I'm wondering what you would suggest for a, a young couple, first time out of the United States, um, on a honeymoon trip. Will you be hiring a car? I'm debating about that because of the driving on the left. I think he might be a little nervous. That is not a problem. You know, there's honestly. no traffic up there, so yeah, you've got it easy. The roads are empty, and I find when I go abroad and I drive on the other side of the road, two hours, and it's no problem. You fall in. Yeah, Jamie, I've been saying this for ages, sending a lot of people who are ambivalent are a little nervous about this, and just pick up the car um, in the countryside if you can, yes. like at the airport yeah. perhaps, and then you'll uh, learn out in the country roads. Okay. And if anybody's coming head on at you, just be in a humble frame of mind, you're probably on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you hire a car in Britain, you get the car with the steering wheel on the side appropriate, appropriate. and that really keeps you in tune with where you should be. So, p- so the what? point is here, uh, Jamie, Arthur, I think, is recommending you get a car, you'll yeah. have more mobility, and you won't be uh, limited by the public transportation schedules to get to the little obscure places. Arthur, where should she go with the car? Does your brother play golf? No, he doesn't. Oh, what a pity. <laughs> We're the home of golf. Right, I... I think we run up to Stirling, visit Stirling Castle. Okay. On up to Balquidder, visit the grave of Rob Roy McGregor. What is the town there, Arthur? Balquidder. Balquidder, okay. It's Rob Roy McGregor and his family are all buried in a little graveyard. And then just drive, wander up through the highlands. Take talk, your time. Talk about the Isle of Skye. I think that is a very romantic place. Oh, it is. It's a beautiful spot. There's two ways you can go to the Isle of Skye. You can drive up the coast road, the road to the Isles, to Malig, and get the ferry across to Armadale. Or you can drive right up through the highlands, past Elendorn Castle, and take the bridge across to Kyrie. 
You know, Jamie, for me, the west coast of Scotland is just the, so um, enchanting and yeah. seductive in its beauty. Arthur lives in a little town called Glencoe. It's sort of a, um, it's one of many charming little towns. You stay in a and b take hikes, get an ordnance survey map, a, a very yes. good map that shows the trails, okay. and take some, do some hiking, take a ferry boat out to some of the outer islands if you have the time. And um, I would say when you're in Edinburgh, be sure to hire a local guide, a local walking guide. They're, they just have wonderful guides. They're very inexpensive. You can take a public one or you can have a private one. And uh, the B&Bs in Edinburgh are, are great for a big city. And, of course, the B&Bs in the countryside are going to enable you to sit around a campfire, a hearth in the home, yes. in the living room, and talk with these people who, in a lot of senses, Arthur, you have the world coming into your living room. You when do. You I don't need to travel over there. Do you, now, but, you did B&Bs for, you just retired this year, yeah, but how many years did 15 you? 15 years. 15 years. You had people coming from all over the world into your home. Yes. What was that like? Absolutely wonderful. We had some great nights. Some nights we didn't get to bed till two in the morning sitting talking. Other nights, you know, it depended on the mood of the person. But always, it was very, very enjoyable. I think that's a key when you're in the, in Ireland or Scotland or Wales is to take some time with your host in the B&B. And remember, they genuinely enjoy opening their house they up do. to yes. people from around the world. Of course, it supplements their domestic budget. But they love to sit around and have mm-hmm. some uh, tea and biscuits or a little whiskey yes. and uh, tell stories. Wonderful. Jamie, thanks for your call. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye. Arthur, you were running your bed and breakfast for 15 years. Yes. Um, now, what, is, what, are, what would we expect to pay for a and b now for, uh, per person? Well, a, a bed and breakfast in Scotland, in law, you cannot take more than six people. It must be your own house, and people come in and they treat it in Scotland as friends staying with you and paying for it. Hmm. So you're not covered by business tax or business rates. So I was charging £15 a night. Until last year. Now, in your town this year, people who are running uh, small Uh, B&Bs? 15, 18 pounds. Okay, so even at a generous, a figure 20 pounds per person. 20 pounds is very generous. With a big breakfast included. Huge. Scottish breakfast. Tell me what a Scottish breakfast is. Oh, usually porridge, which is oatmeal, of course, cereal, uh, sausage, bacon, egg, tomato, toast, marmalade, all usually homemade bread, homemade marmalade, butter. Coffee, juice. Coffee, juice, tea, All right. ample supplies. Now, uh, I think uh, traditionally the Scottish breakfast got you through the day if you're out it working did, in the fields. Yes, yes. So that's, that's what it was for. Scottish fry. You were out, yes. All right. Although not many of us fry now. No. It's, in old days, it was uh, a lot of people called it a heart attack on a plate yeah, or a, well, a plate of cardiac we'll arrest or something there, like yes. this. And now uh, I think B&Bs have contests, actually, for healthy heart awards <laughs> yes, and this sort of yeah. thing. So, But uh, just so you're planning on your budget, you know, the dollar is not very strong. And Britain is very expensive as far as Europe goes these days. But if you stay in a and b you got it right from Arthur here, uh, a top-end B&B in the countryside of Scotland would be £20 per person. Yes. Basically double that for dollars, 40 yes. per person, $80 for the double in a mm. private home with probably $30 worth of breakfast there. That yes, includes and supper, breakfast. usually a cup of tea at night, shortbread, home baking. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Now, um, when we're thinking of traveling in Scotland, we encounter a lot of Scottish um, cliches, and it's sort of on people's list. One of the things is haggis. Now, yes. when I go to Scotland, a lot of times I ask for haggis, and they say, we dropped that from our menu 20 years yeah. ago. Do, go to a tourist place, and you'll find some haggis. Are there any Scottish people that still enjoy haggis? Quite a few, actually. Is that right? There's some very good haggises going about. But it became such a joke, you tended to back off from it a bit. What is haggis? What's You're, in it? That's <laughs> it's the naughty parts of a sheep. The naughty parts of a yes. sheep. minced up. With oatmeal and spices and boiled up, it's actually quite delicious. Anybody who's come to my bed and breakfast and I've served it to, uh, the plates were cleared. I find it a little rich, but very tasty. It's tasty, but rich. You don't want to eat Filling. a lot of it. No. How do you, just in a nutshell, uh, Arthur, how do you make, do you make haggis or do, 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 people, do people actually make I, it or do you buy it? Or no, what? I buy it from the butcher. And what, what is it in it again? It's the nutty parts of the... The, the sheep, the heart, the lungs, the brains, right. the intestines, minced up with oatmeal, spices... Boiled inside uh, the stomach. Spices, so different different regions would have different, different spices, uh, magic yes. little yeah. mix and so on. And uh, it has a history. Oh, yes, yes. Well, we, are a poor, we were a poor country. We wasted nothing. We ate everything. And the parts were a wee bit in the, uh, unappetizing. We beefed up the spices. You know, I find all over Europe they have what I think of as foods of... Um, 
sort of uh, to remember the hardships of your uh, yes. your ancestors. Yes. You know, uh, in Norway they've got the uh, lutefisk. That's right. And it was how how the people ate a long time ago when they yes. didn't have refrigerators. They had mm-hmm. to basically uh, you know soak their cod in lye or whatever. And in uh, Scotland you will have the haggis, and it reminds the people of the uh, struggles they had back in a simpler age, and it stays alive today. You got to try haggis at least once when you're in Scotland. Also, when people are in Scotland, everybody wants to see people with bagpipes and kilts. And mm. when I drive around, I see bagpipers in their full regalia on yes. the street corner uh, playing the bagpipe for tips for tourists, mm. basically. But are bagpipes still uh, an integral part of the, the cultural scene, would you say? Well, it is because Scotland was militarily a very uh, how can I put this? a very military country. Mm-hmm. After the clans were abolished, after Culloden, the military regiments took over the place of the clans. And the bagpipes played a big part. Is that right? So the clans really were the the social uh, design, and then no more clans when the English came and and subdued you. After Culloden, when the clans were abolished, they formed the regiments. And Uh and the only way you could bear weapons or wear a kilt was to join the military. And the old regiments are really the old clans. My old regiment, the Argyles, were really the the Argyle clans. Now, you gave me a scarf that has your regiment's tartan on it. The Argyll and Southern Highlanders. This is a beautiful, beautiful scarf, and it has mm. your tartan. Yes. And that would have been your the regiment. Milita- military regiment tartan. Yes. So they knew where you were from. Yes. And that would actually indicate previous to the Culloden, when the English beat the Scots and abolished the clans, this would have been your clans? No. Or, or somebody's no. clans tartan? Or how does no. that work? That actually is a military tartan. Okay. but It's made darker because we didn't want it to be too obvious. It's camouflage. Was oh, that right? Yes. Okay. Now, the English, we had the clan situation, and we've all heard of the, the, the massacres yes. and so on. Give me a little, did this really happen? What was the most famous massacre? Well, in our village, the massacre of Glencoe. Right. When King William's troops, when 128 troops were billeted in the Glen under a Major Duncanson, they stayed for 12 nights, which allowed another 600 redcoats to come up so hang on, when the when the when the English were there, you Scottish people had to house the troops well, in your homes. You have to. Billeted. This is the laws of hospitality. This mm-hmm. is where bed and breakfast came from. It's a rough country. It can be hard in the winter. If somebody comes to your door and asks for shelter, you have to give it to them. And once you've broken bread with them and eaten their salt, you're safe, no matter who they are. And this is why that red coats had stayed for twelve nights and then started killing, it left such a bad impression. Murder under trust. The murder under trust. Yes. You had welcomed them into your homes. Stayed with them for 12 nights, and oh. then... And this uh, led to some... Well, this this was really the start of the Jacobite uprisings. Okay. When we tried to get the Stuart family back in the throne of Britain. And that was powered by the fact that Scottish people are, are tend to be more Catholic, and English are more Protestant, is that right? Mm, not really, no, this... That wasn't a Catholic thing? No. Okay. The, the Catholics came into Scotland more when the Irish potato famine came and they came across from Ireland to live in Scotland. Okay. More from our friend Arthur Smith on his beloved Scotland in an interview he conducted with us shortly before his passing in February of this year. Coming up on Travel with Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Email us at radio at ricksteves.com. I'd like you to meet this true gentleman who shared his love of Scotland with so many travelers, Arthur Smith, in a conversation we shared earlier this year, a special tribute on travel with Rick Steves. When the English came and wanted to assert themselves on Scotland, a lot of times you had to hide your weapons because they wouldn't allow you to have swords, is that right? That's right. Well, after Culloden, the weapons were banned and we had to hide them. And in our village, when we stripped off the old thatch and we came home from the war, we found swords, we found muskets, pistols, targes, 
all hidden after Culloden in 1745. In the thatched roofs of in your village? In the thatched roofs of the village. From when? From 1745. So 200, over 200 years later, we they changed them. the thatch and they discovered these yes. old Scottish weapons. Yes. My goodness, where are they now? In the museum. So your, your little village has a museum. Yes, we have. When the English came, no more kilts, no more bagpipes, <coughs> yeah. no more Scottish language even? Well, no, it remained. Although when I was growing up as a small boy in the 20s and 30s, we used to get our fingers strapped at school for speaking Gaelic in the playground. You had to speak English. Is that right? It died out, but it's made a comeback now. People are actually speaking Scottish now. The Gaelic has made a, a, quite a comeback, yes. Huh. Interesting, because I know in, in Wales and Ireland, Scott, the Gaelic lang- or the yes. Celtic language is strong. Hey, Arthur, we've got somebody else on the line here. We've yes, got certainly. Connie in Bethesda, Maryland, and Connie is interested in information, I believe, on the Hebrides. Thanks for your call. What's on your mind? Yes, my husband are, and I are interested in going to the Hebrides. We've been talking about it for some time. Yes. We have teenage sons, and uh, we'd like to make a family trip, or, and possibly the Orkneys or the Shetlands. I'm not sure how they compare with one another. I was wondering if you could give me some information for first-time visitors. Yes. Now, do you want to go to the Hebrides, or do you want to go to Orkney and Shetland? The well, Her- the I've Hebrides been leaning lies. more on the Hebrides. Yes. Well, my favorite island is Harris and Lewis, the Long Island. Okay. And you get the ferry from Ullapool across. And what I love there is the beautiful sandy beaches, and because the Gulf Stream comes across from the Atlantic, we have Caribbean water and beautiful white sandy beaches. Mm. But in Lewis itself, there's the standing stones at Callanish. You know what standing stones are? Like Stonehenge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these have been there since before Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Our standing stones at Callanish are older than the the pyramids. My goodness. And it's wonderful just to walk among them and feel the history. Connie, excuse me, just for our listeners, uh, we got, you got the lowlands where you've got Glasgow and Edinburgh, and then you go north, you get the highlands where you get more dramatic culture. And then off of the west coast of Scotland, we've got the Hebrides Islands, right? Yes, yes. And then further away, like in the, almost in the neighborhood of Iceland, we've got Shetland and Orkney oh, Islands. The, the Northern away. Isles, yes. Yeah. Okay. No. Connie, any more thoughts on that? Well, I was wondering, is it best to get a car and take the ferry Oh, over? yes, yes. Oh, please. Take a car around the islands. What to do is Calmac, which is our big ferry company, you can get a Rover runabout ticket, which lets you roll on and off all as many islands as you like for one payment. Mm-hmm. And if your cars are kind of reasonable size, it's not too bad. Right. But check it on the internet. Okay. And is it also best to go in the summertime? Or oh, yes, Or is springtime yes. okay? May and June. Because we're so far north, I live just somewhere north of Juneau in Alaska in latitude. Mm-hmm. In May and June, there's 18, 20 hours of daylight. Hmm. It gives you a very long day and some beautiful scenery. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. Now, Connie, I would imagine if you're tooling along the island of Harris or Lewis or these other islands, the island of Mole or mm. the island of Skye, you probably don't need reservations in B&Bs if you're exploring, or what would you say, Arthur? Well, if you're in the shoulder months, if you're away from the school holidays, okay. you're probably all right. And the, and the school holidays would be July, July and August, August, yes. Okay, yeah. so July and August you'll have uh, you know long days and, and better weather, but you'll have a lot more school crowds and, and local, uh, local tourists, I yes. suppose. You'll get better weather in May and June than you will in July and August, though. The weather's normally better then. Does that help you out, Connie? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Uh, good thank luck you. on your trip. Oh, thank you. Enjoy yeah. it, yes. We also have Amanda on the phone in Seattle. And uh, Amanda, you're thinking of uh, day trips to distilleries from Edinburgh. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I went to um, Isla via Glasgow last oh, time. And yes. so this time I'm heading to Edinburgh. Yes. Um, and I was wondering if it was possible to, to take some day trips out of Edinburgh to distilleries or to explore out there um, and if I needed a car for that. You, you need a car. The distilleries are a wee bit out of Edinburgh. Yeah, I know. They're, they're, they're in the Highlands more. You know, mm-hmm. to get the traditional... Before we go any, I want to talk more about that, but let's make it very clear to our listeners that whiskey is a big deal, and there's Irish whiskey and there's Scotch whiskey, right? Yes, spelled differently. I would like Arthur (laughs) to explain the difference between Irish and Scotch. Is there a difference? There's a difference in flavor, and it's a question of taste. But the the Scottish whiskey generally is a worldwide leader. It may be a worldwide leader. The Irish would say the Irish whiskey, I think, is triple distilled and the Scotch whiskey is double distilled. Is that a qualitative thing or a taste thing? Well, it's a taste thing. Okay. And in in Edinburgh, you have some very tacky whiskey uh, uh, tours. There's a whiskey trail. uh, That's very, very goofy. And I I would be sure, Amanda, that you would... Actually, there are some whiskey... um, 
uh, shops that are quite classy at the bottom of the Royal Mile in it Edinburgh. Is, yes. But uh, let's get back now to Arthur talking about leaving Edinburgh to get to the, the real distilleries. Yes. And do they welcome tourists? Very much. Most of them have a, a guided tour that take you around, explain how it happens, and then you finish up with just a wee dram, you know. Mm-hmm. So you go with a smile on your face. But there's whiskey distilleries all through the highlands. The best part is down the Spey Valley. There's an actual whiskey trail that will give you a map. You can go into all the distilleries and taste the difference yourself. There's no point in me saying which is the best whiskey. The best whiskey is the one that you actually like. Amanda, any other questions? Um, yeah, no, that's great. So um, if I wanted to base myself, say, in Speyside or something like that to, to, to visit a bunch of distilleries and kind of a day thing, if, Edin- if it's too out, far out from Edinburgh, is there a good town or any specific place that would be great to, to go stay in? Well, Granton and Spey, down the Spey Valley, is probably mm-hmm. the, the capital of the Spey Valley, Granton. Mm-hmm. And you could quite a few distilleries within easy reach of that. And the tourist board, I'm sure, produces this whiskey trail oh, thing yes. with all oh, the specifics. Yeah. You know, once you get there, go to a tourist information office and you'll get all the details there. We've had some very good tours in different places around yes. Scotland. And from my, my experience as a tour guide, it's always been uh, time uh, very well spent for our groups, Amanda. Mm-hmm. Great. Have fun on that trip. I'm excited. Oh, okay. <laughs> Look forward to seeing you. Somebody else emailed us, uh, Arthur, and they yeah. said, so what's under the kilt? Ah, I got to say, Arthur's wearing his Scottish outfit right now, and um, we, we'll get to the what's under the yeah. kilt later. But right now, Arthur, take me on just a little tour of your traditional Scottish garb here. You've got it's well, so it's so beautiful. <laughs> well, the kilt, of course, it was worn in the Highlands when we were herding the cattle. I've got ten yards of cloth wrapped round about me, and my legs are bare, which meant I was nice and warm. But could, out with the cattle, I could wade through rivers and logs and not get my trousers wet. Okay, so those is anticipating going through a wet br- brush and yes. so on. You've got 10 yards of cloth wrapped yes. around. Okay, yes. and what, what attaches it? Oh, two buckles at either side. But basically it's held in by a big heavy belt. And then because you don't have pockets, you wear a sporran, which is just a pouch that you hang around your waist. And inside there you have the traditional credit cards, traditional car keys. Your cell phone. It's a traditional cell phone, yeah. So you got a, you got a sporn that looks like um, D- Daniel Boone's hat, I think. Wasn't, didn't he well, used to wear a raccoon? That's an otter. Oh, that, uh, this is an otter. Your sporn is, is an, an otter. otter. Yes, or it was an otter. Yeah. It was an otter. You see, it, it used looks to like be, it's the size of a woman's purse. It's a round it's otter a, it, purse. The word sporn means purse in English. Is that right? Yeah, okay. and that's all it is. Now, what would Rob Roy have in his sporn? Probably food, oatmeal. It okay. might have a little glass of whiskey. Uh, you know, a little flask of whiskey? Yes. Okay. Probably oatmeal and uh, oh, handkerchief or something. You know, okay, just uh, the little camp, camp out stuff. Yeah, and and yeah. today Arthur Smith would have his car keys and his cell phone in it, yes. and he'd hop in his modern car with his horn and his yes. kilt. It's the same as always. Now, you flew to the United States, and yes. you I know you've got a, a little knife in your stocking, don't you? Uh, a ski and do, yes. It's what, traditional. What is that called? A ski and do. Literally, it's a, a black knife. Okay. And it's a very traditional thing, and all the Highlanders carry one. And is it a functional thing today or a decorative thing? It's functional. For what? <laughs> what do you need a knife for, huh? Uh, you never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. No, it's actually, it's been a, a tradition granted to us to carry weapons. Obviously, coming over by Continental, I put it in my luggage. Right. Yeah. Now, the... What is exciting to me as Europe is uniting is that the regions of Europe are able to exercise their their traditions and their and their independence a little more openly. Yes. And my take on this is as Europe unites, as Belgium becomes the center of Europe, uh, national capitals like London are less threatened by regions like Scotland. Yes. Consequently, in the last couple of years, Scotland has been allowed to have its parliament meeting actually back in Scotland yes. for the first time since, what, 1711? 1707. 1707. Mm. Scotland's got a new parliament now. It has. How is it going? Uh, not <laughs> very well, I'm afraid. Tell me about that. Well, it turned out to be not very popular. The parliament? The parliament. It turned out to be very, very costly. Yeah. The building? The building was supposed to cost 40 million. It's cost well over 400 million. But what about the actual governing body? You actually have more uh, sovereignty have, now? We we used to have 76 MPs mm-hmm. sitting in the House of Commons. And they discussed Scottish business here and then come up and discussed it in Edinburgh. Now we've got an extra 129 MPs. <laughs> So it's a bigger bureaucracy. It's a bigger bureaucracy. In a very expensive building. As my grandfather used to say, he had a soft spot for politicians. 
It's a peat bog just further down the road. I think a lot of people can relate to that, yeah. Arthur. Uh, well, so you've got a parliament. It's open yep. to tourists. It's, it's, a, it's indeed, a remarkable yes. building at the bottom of the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. Yes. And Scotland is able to wear your kilt, play your bagpipes, speak you your language. Like? Yes. No problem at all. Can I just explain, when you talk about the Royal Mile, that's a mile from the gates of the Castle of Edinburgh to the Palace of Holyrood House where the Queen stays. So the King and Queen stayed in Holyrood House and it was one mile to Edinburgh Castle and that's the Royal Mile. And it's one of the most historic walks, it's I think, wonderful. in all of yes. Europe. You've got yeah. John Knox's house in the, in the church where he preached the Reformation mm-hmm. in Scotland. You've got the uh, home of uh, Walter Scott and uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, Stevenson and these guys. Conan and Doyle. Wonderful, wonderful walk. And, of course, you can tour the the, um, the castle, which is one of the great uh, historic places in all well, of Europe. Well, we have the oldest crown jewels in Europe in the castle, the Scottish crown jewels. And when you enter the castle, you see a statue of William Wallace, I believe. Yes. And a lot of Americans know William Wallace from the movie Braveheart. Oh, that was filmed just in its glen to me, yes. Now, do you, you've got a lot of Americans coming into your B&B. Yes. How is their, uh, have they learned from the romantic movies, Rob Roy well, and Braveheart, yeah, or has that messed indeed. up their perspective? Uh, they, no. Okay, they were movies. They did take a bit of liberty with them, but basically the things were right. And Robert the Bruce and William Wallace led to the independence of Scotland. And the 6th of April, 1320, was the signing of the Scottish Declaration of Independence. And we've been independent ever since. We have a union with England, but we're independent. Explain that to me. You've got England, you've got Wales, you've got Scotland, North Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland. Yes. Now, there's a difference between England and Scotland and England and Wales, right? Yes. How how is the relation different? Well, Wales is a, a Celtic enclave. But it's not a kingdom, it's a principality. Okay. So it didn't have the power. There was a wall around Offers Dyke. Right, Offers Dyke. So, but, but Wales was never really as much of an established political entity. No, as Scotland was. Scotland was a kingdom. A kingdom, So yes. the United Kingdom yes. is putting England and Scotland together. United as a kingdom. Yes. Nothing to do with Wales or Ireland? No, they joined later. Ah, okay, I didn't know so that. So the Union flag is the flag of Wales... Sorry, the flag of Scotland, England, and Northern Ireland superimposing each other. Wonderful. Arthur, this is fascinating. I'd love to talk to you more, but uh, right now I just feel like getting on an airplane and flying to Scotland. We'd be delighted to see you. Thanks so much for your interesting information on your beautiful country. Thank you.
That's great. Oh, How'd you feel about it? Oh, I Drum. didn't tell you. What's yeah. under the kilt? We never got to that. <laughs> Nothing's more than it's all in perfect working order. Yeah. Okay. Is Mishy Ars McLuhan from Grand Co. is travelling with Ruth and Steve's. And that is Scots Gaelic, the old Scots language. And I'm saying my name is Arthur Smith from Glencoe in the Highlands and I'm travelling with Rick Steves and in Scottish again is Mish Arthur McGovern from Glencoe in Alba and I'm travelling with Rick Steves I can't put Rick Steves in Gallic no. so I'd love to but uh, Kayleigh's a visit so Gordon and Kayleigh my visit with you was very agreeable Gordon and Kayleigh my visit with you was so agreeable. My visit with you was very agreeable. Yes. Too. Thank you, Thank Arthur you. from Scotland. Thank you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. You'll find more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com, where you can look up information on today's program and others in this series. You can also submit your questions and comments for Rick from our website to be included on future editions of Travel with Rick Steves. That's where you can also send us your submissions for our 15 Seconds of Fame department and sign up for our Radio Waves email updates. Details are at ricksteves.com. Some of the people who help bring you Travel with Rick Steves include communication support from Sonia Grosset and Robin Goddard, technical support from Dan Souter and Matt Iglesias, and additional assistance from Reagan Sewell and Pat O'Connor. Our theme music is composed by Jerry Frank. I'm your producer, Tim Tatton. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.